Section 23 of A Minor War History. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Jennifer Painter. A Minor War History by Martin Alonzo Haynes. Letter 65. Camp near Harrison's Landing. Virginia, August the 8th, 1862. Since I last wrote, we have been on quite a little expedition to Malvern Hill and back. We left our camp Monday afternoon, just before sunset. It was a beautiful evening, and as we followed a fairly good road, we trudged along very comfortably until about midnight, when we halted and slept on our arms until daybreak. Bright and early we resumed our march. The enemy's cavalry pickets were struck within a few hundred yards and our cavalry sent them flying after the exchange of a few shots. When we came out into a large field, I saw that we were on the ground where we fought on the second day of the retreat from Fair Oaks at Charles City Crossroads. Then we swung to the left and pushed down the road to Malvern Hill, the same we had followed once before. When we came out into the great open area around Malvern Hill, one of our light batteries was already engaged with a rebel battery of four pieces. These guns naturally paid some attention to us, but with the exception of one shell which burst in our ranks before we filed out of the road and did some damage, not a man was hit in the second regiment. We had really remarkable luck, as they did some very good shooting and burst a number of shells and case shot in our very faces. The 11th Massachusetts had two men killed and eight wounded by one shot. After half or three quarters of an hour of this, the rebel battery limbered up and struck up the river road for Richmond, and our cavalry went after them. We gathered in quite a bunch of prisoners, singly and in little squads, men scattered around on outpost and picket duty who came up out of the woods to see what the trouble was, and found out. One of these was particularly low-down mean and sassy, and he and Heenan had it out. After looking us over, he said there was one thing he cussed himself for, and that was that he looked so much like a Yankee. Then Nitch, leaning on his gun, took Johnny in hand. He looked him up and down with such a contemptuous sneer on his face. He commented on his general disreputable appearance and to wind up with set the fellow fairly wild with rage by leaning forward and confidentially asking him how much nigger blood there was in him. The rebel battery was posted under big trees in the grounds of the old mansion house on the hill. When we advanced to the position we found three or four wounded and one dead battery man that the rebels had left behind. The dead man had been hit on the head by a piece of shell and lay all curled up, but still tightly clasping in his hands the shell he was carrying to his gun. We occupied the hill until Thursday morning when we leisurely returned to camp. It was really a delightful outing. When we returned, my haversack was bulging with the fruits of my foraging. Apples and plums, fresh pork, hog's liver, and one good fat chicken. 
Perk Lane and four others of our boys who were taken prisoners have returned. They have had a pretty hard time of it, but have many amusing stories to tell of prison life in Richmond. Provisions there are very high indeed. Molasses six dollars a gallon, flour twenty-five dollars a barrel, bread twenty-five cents a loaf, and everything else in proportion. We are beginning to get a little soft bread now ourselves. Yesterday we had a whole loaf to a man, and we have had one meal before that. Sunday, August the 10th. I hear from home that a great many of the white-livered gentry swear they will not submit to being drafted. Then shoot them, that's my advice, and the second regiment would like the job. I can hardly write at all the flies bother me so. They are here in millions, and nobody can take any comfort for the torments. Letter 66 Camp near Alexandria, Virginia September the 6th, 1862 After being here two days, I have managed to get the materials together for writing a letter. We have had a mighty strenuous time since we marched away from Harrison's Landing, August the 15th, in two hard battles, to say nothing of hard marches and transportation by sea and land, on crowded steamers and rattle-trap freight cars. Marching to Yorktown, we were there loaded onto transports. No sooner were we fairly landed in Alexandria than we were toted out to Warrenton Junction and dumped, late at night, in the fields by the side of the road. Here, we were told, we would have a chance to rest, and we did, just one day and one night. That night, Stonewall Jackson showed up at Manassas, directly in our rear, and we were sent after him. We came upon him at Kettle Run and had a rattling smart fight with several hundred men killed and wounded on both sides. Two days later, we were engaged in the second great battle of Bull Run. Our brigade here showed its mettle as it never had before, and especially the second regiment. We were ordered to advance through woods without any supports and attack the rebels behind a railroad grade five or six feet high. We went in. They gave us a volley and we charged them, the second going over the work with a yell and giving those fellows the surprise of their life. It was savage work for a short time, but we were determined to drive them, and we did. Then we went for the second line, a few rods further on, and set them a-going. And pretty soon it became apparent that what there was left of us were being surrounded. Then we got out. We had to, or be taken prisoners. We lost 147 men out of a little over 300 that went in, and most of these within a very few minutes. General Grover said it was the greatest bayonet charge of the war. I got my first man as I went over the bank. I dashed round a big bush in the very edge of the grade, right onto a rebel, who threw his gun up, aiming at somebody to my right. He never fired for I gave it to him from the hip, and doubtless saved the life of some second regiment man. I'll never know who. And just as I was starting on my return trip, something tickled my upper lip and the roots of my nose, and for a while I was doing the exsanguined act on the smallest capital of any man in the regiment. It was a pretty close shave, all the same. One inch further, in the wrong direction, would have spoiled my beauty, 
and three inches would have spoiled me. The actual fate of a lot of the boys is still in doubt. Charlie Smiley is missing, and nobody can tell anything about him. He never came back. Frank Robinson was shot through the bowels near the railroad bank. Captain Carr told me a few minutes later that he had to leave him there, dying. Father is over in Washington, but so far has been unable to get a pass to come over here, while I could not get a pass to go over there. It will be pretty tough if, after all I have gone through, and he so near, they do not give me a chance to see him. I do not know how soon we may be on the move, but hope not for some time, for really the regiment is in pretty bad shape. The latest camp rumour is that we are going down to Bud's Ferry, which would be very nice, but is entirely improbable. But we certainly should have a chance to get our breath at least. We have been in ten fights, and in some of them have borne the brunt. There are regiments here that have never been in any fight at all, but have laid back here in comfort, while others were getting the rough of it. It is a beautiful day, and I am sitting in front of my tent, upon a pile of corn husks, the Potomac at my feet, and the cities of Alexandria and Washington, up there to the north. End of section 23